We're, uh, we're in, actually, the book of Psalms this morning. We're taking a break from Romans. So Psalm 133, if you got your Bibles with us, um, or with you. Uh, we are going to take a break. Lisa mentioned in the month of November, we're going to be taking a pause to emphasize uh, the good work that God's doing here and abroad in his great commission uh, to make disciples of all nations and our part in that. And so uh, we're going to be looking at that in the month of November. And then in De- December, uh, we'll be looking at the Christmas story and messages that go along with that. And then in January, we'll pick things back up in Romans chapter 12. As Lisa mentioned, uh, reading plan will resume then if you've been following along, but in your bulletins and on on the website, uh, you, can, you can look for uh, some reading ideas that we have to be in the Word together uh, during that time. And then you'll see today how we're going to segue today's message into Mission Month uh, starting next Sunday. Uh, but first of all, uh, we are going to uh, look at Psalm 133. Would you read this with me? Let's read this together since we're talking about unity today. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, brothers and sisters, the word there, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now this is a psalm that's a part of a group of psalms we call the Psalms of Ascent. And what happened was you have these traveling Israelites making three pilgrimages over the course of a year to Jerusalem. And on their way, they are busting out into like this Disney musical together uh, as they're going down to basically Jewish Woodstock, all right? And they are going down to, to, pray, to, uh, to worship the Lord together. And uh, the thing is, though, these Psalms of Ascent, they weren't actually read. Oh, no, no. They were sung. So I know it's early, but if you remember, if you were reading that, and you, you know this song, if you were a believer in the 80s and 90s, uh, we had a tambourine and we had an overhead projector here at the church, and we sang this song. So we're going to not just read this psalm together, but we're going to sing this psalm together. If you don't know the words, just fake it till you make it, all right? So we're going to put our hands together. Let's do this with me. There we go. Come on. Oh, how good it is when brethren dwell together, dwell together. Let me hear you. In unity. Oh, how good it is when brethren dwell together, dwell together in unity. Feel it on the back. For there the Lord commands his blessing, life forevermore. For there the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. Just the women. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Oh, man. You're like, why is he not the worship leader instead of the pastor? I don't know. It's a great, great question. Um, But man, so that takes takes me back to Debbie Gurlitz flipping overheads and banging on that tambourine, right? Life is good. Uh, This psalm that we just sang and read is a psalm of unity. When brethren and sistren dwell together, and this is the whole nation of Israel coming together to worship God. I mean, you think about what we do on Thanksgiving. Take Thanksgiving and put it on a national level. That everybody's gathering in this one city to give thanks and worship their God. This is a beautiful, beautiful gathering and a picture. And we're going to find in this psalm our call this morning as believers to come together 
into a community, a unity of believers, of Jesus' followers. We're going to see this sentence. We're going to look at, emphasize three different words. We were made to go together. Let's first look at the word made. We were made to go together. My uh, sister is due with her second. I mentioned this last week, a few weeks from now. And because we don't have a baby name, we're just going to call her Justina. Um, just picking a name at random. Um, and let's say that the moment Justina is born, uh, she blinks at her parents, says, thanks for the last nine months, uh, rent-free in the womb, but I'm out of here. And she grabs her little to-go bag, little 31 bag, and sashays her way right out of the hospital into this world on her own. And here are Ryan and Janelle kind of just blinking at each other, like, what in the world is this baby doing, right? Now, of course, that's an insane proposition because when a baby's born into this world they're born into a family right and not just born into a family but that little baby needs her family needs her mother and father provision and protection and in the same way the moment that you and I profess our faith in Christ we are born into a family like it or not like it or not, the moment we're born, we're born into this church family. Now, we're not talking about the organization, not talking about this building. You, most of us weren't born in this building, but we're born into a church family. And it doesn't matter if you're going to Drew's membership class in the second hour. It doesn't matter if you're an infant that's already tithing. You are a part of the people of God. Eugene Peterson who actually passed away this last Monday, hero of the faith, wrote the, the, the message, uh, paraphrased the Bible, and many books that have, that have uh, really encouraged my heart as, as a pastor, as a believer. Uh, he had this to say. He said, we can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be a part of a family. He says, this is what we've been called into. We, this is not an option. It's not just a social club for extroverts who happen to like bad potlucks and singing into each other's ears, right? Some of you, I saw, there the Lord get with me. We are called to be a part of this body. It's in the very fabric and DNA of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, there are certainly Christians who don't like to come to church regularly, some who don't come to church regularly. And again, we're not boiling it down to, I'm on a, a literal list of members, or I come to a certain building once, and there are many people who will say the words, and I love God, but I hate the church. But we're going to see this morning, this is a, a package deal. You're called into, born into this family. Like it or not, God doesn't make these private one-on-one -on -one salvation deals with people. Is our relationship with him intimate? Yes, it is. Is it personal? Absolutely. But it is not private. When we become Christians, we get this slew of crazy siblings that we're called to live in community with. There is no such thing as an only child Christian. Romans 8 says that we were made, God's purpose was that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, it's important to note just because we're a family, it doesn't automatically make us one big happy family. And sometimes the people of God look a lot more like this family, right? I don't know what went down at dinner, but they're, they're, the struggle is real here with these guys. And anyone who grew up in a, 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 a family, a physical family, knows this, right? I still to this day have Vietnam-like flashbacks of driving to school in the morning as a teenager with my sister in the back seat, my brother in the front seat, and she is pulling out large chunks of hair from his scalp. As he has stolen shotgun for the third consecutive morning, right? And here's the good son just driving, minding his own business, going to be a pastor someday, right? I'm good to go. <laughs> we all know that this is a family can be a war zone, right? I mean, it can be chaos. And we're not painting this picture of the moment, listen, the moment you come to know Jesus, you don't just all of a sudden just start treating people well. And this isn't just one long group hug as a church, Right? 
Like we treat each other poorly at times. There are Christians who can be sticks in the mud. Let's face it, it can be a pain in the neck to be around. But they are brothers and sisters nonetheless. Eugene Peterson also said it this way, if God is my father, if God is my father, that good, good father, then this, this, the people of God, this is my family. Now, the idea of being created for community is seen in God's word from cover to cover. He made us to go together. You look at the way God created the world right out of the gates. Creation wasn't complete until Adam was given Eve to make humanity whole. He says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God doesn't work with individuals in isolation. He's working with people in the context of community. You think about after he made Adam and Eve, we got the patriarchs, patriarch fathers of families, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob called, not just individually, but as families. And these individual families become a whole national family called the people of Israel. And that's the context that he's working through in the Old Testament. It's through the families of the nation of Israel. And then when Jesus comes, what does he tell us? He says the heart of the commands that he had given to that national family is love your father and love your family. Love those around you as much as you love yourself. And then he starts this thing called the church. And this, this church that he, that he starts with, it doesn't start with one person. It starts with 120 people called into community together. And then when a couple of these people start, they start thinking that they could go rogue and kind of do their own thing, the author of Hebrews, he calls them out. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Love your neighbor. Love your family. He says, let us not neglect our meeting together. Don't go out and do this on your own, as some people do. And today, some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is what he's created us as. In fact, you see all over the New Testament, this analogy that is given to us as his people is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Just like your eyeball or your spleen don't go off and try to be the body by themselves, but must function in your body to be healthy. He says it's the same way with the people of God. For in one spirit we were all baptized, placed into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one one spirit. You and I have been called to be one body, or to quote Paul in Ephesians 2, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you're citizens, along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's family. These are family words. That's why David, at the beginning of this psalm, he says, it's good and pleasant when brothers, brothers and sisters, family dwells together in unity. So the question isn't, should I be a part of a community? The question is, how am I to be a part of this community of faith. We're made to go together. Secondly, we're made to go together. What does this look like? Well, he says how good and pleasant it is. This is a good thing. This is a pleasant thing. And then in verse 3, for there the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. It's in this good and pleasant unity that we're going to find life, the kind of life God created us for. We're going to find blessing, the blessing that God has for us when we dwell in this kind of unity. Now, he gives us a couple of examples. The first one we're going to see is like oil coming down Aaron's beard. He says, verse 2, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Now we read this part, and for us today, we're like, this is a bizarre example. 
Like, what is going on? And I picture, especially as a sports guy, I picture someone dumping oil on Aaron's head like the Gatorade bath that the coach gets at the end of the, the game. You know, did Aaron have a really awesome temple service? And they're just like, you did it, Aaron. Like, what? I'm going to Jewish Disneyland. You know, like, what, what, what are we celebrating here? What is going on with this, this oil being dumped on Aaron's head? Well, it tells us in, in Exodus 29 kind of where this came from, this anointing of, of oil. It says, then anoint him by pouring the anointing oil over his head. I will consecrate, that word means set apart, I will set apart Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. So this wasn't like doTERRA oil, right? They didn't have a, they didn't need lavender because they had some kind of like, they couldn't sleep that night or whatever you guys do, I don't know. Um, They give that, the oil set them apart as in service and authority and empowerment to serve God. These priests were, were set apart, and you think about this is exactly what the pilgrims would have been thinking about as they're heading to Jerusalem, because they're about to be led in worship and sacrifices by these priests that have been set apart to lead them in worship of God. Now, what the oil would do, it talks about flowing down, starts at the head, runs down his beard, but it didn't, it didn't stop there. And you see this artist's rendition of, of some of what the, the priestly garb would look like on that breastplate were these 12 stones, and these 12 stones represented each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as this oil, the blessing and consecration, set-apartedness, holiness of God is what's symbolized with that oil, flows down the breastplate over the top of these 12 tribes, what he's showing them there is you as a nation, 12 individual tribes have been called to be one. You've been set apart to glorify God in your unity. And here's what would happen. They were to be a light to the nations. The rest of the nations would look at the people of Israel and go, man, look at their unity. Look at the way they are treating each other in love, in service, in worship of God. And that was to draw the rest of the, the pagan nations around them into a relationship with God. And today, you and I, Peter calls us a kingdom of priests. He says, you are a chosen race, talking to the church a royal priesthood, each of us, every, not just the pastor or the worship leader, every believer has been called, set apart as priests of God into his service, a holy nation, individuals from every tongue, tribe, and nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're my people. You are a people, a people that have been shown mercy. And so you and I, what we're called, we're not anointed with Gatorade, we're not anointed with oil, we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit unifies us. And what's going to happen here, what's the intention, the design, is that the rest of the world would look at the crazy way that we're loving each other. Man, look at how generous those people are to each other. They just give each other stuff when they're in need. Man, look at the way these people just forgive each other and don't stay bitter toward one another. Look at the way these people weep with each other when they're in hard times. Look at the way they rejoice with each other as though it was them that were going through the good times. And as people see this, what they're called, what they're going to see, he says, as we love each other well and differently than the rest of the world, set apart, they're going to see Jesus. This is what Jesus prayed in the garden. Look at this prayer right before he died. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. In the same kind of unity that Jesus has with the Father, they are both God. You cannot get more unified than that. In that same way, he says, may they also be in us. This kind of unity with God and with each other. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
If this world is going to believe that Jesus came to die for them and to give them life through his resurrection, they've got to see us in loving unity with one another. Otherwise, they go, why in the world would I want to step into that? Like oil down Aaron's beard, we are to be consecrated in our unity, set apart. And then he says, like dew on the mountain, like dew on the mountain. It is like the dew of, Mount, of Hermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion. Now, for us, again, as an Alaskan, to me, dew is just that weird stuff, that, the condensation that comes through my tent in the mornings, right? Makes my head all nasty when I'm trying to sleep. But for them, the dew on the mountains, th this is an agricultural community, and, and the Jewish people depended on crops for their lives. And so God providing water, especially in an arid desert culture, or uh, area, and this meant, this meant life. This was God's blessing. This was God's fruitfulness for them. This was God's provision. Life-sustaining saturation was this dew on the mountain so that they would be refreshed and renewed. Now you knew, dew on the mountain, come on, it was right there. It was teed up. I just had to, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. So in the same way that the, 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 um, that the oil was flowing down Aaron's head, this dew that starts on the mountain, and they got, they got, it looked like hard rain, the kind of dew that they would get on Mount Hermon and on Mount Zion. It would flow down the mountain to the people, to their crops. And he's showing this is God's blessing. This kind of unity is a blessing that flows from God to people. So this, this spirit-saturated unity, it's, it's here to refresh and renew us. And man, I see this in my life. Like this earlier this week, I get a, a very well-timed call from a close friend. And we get together and we talk and we encourage each other in the word. We encourage each other toward the Lord. We help navigate life's difficult decisions. It was refreshing. It was renewing. And for us, I mean, this last year, I've seen some of, the, some of the things that our elders have had to work through together, some decisions we've had to make, some meetings that we've had to have together, and to see the way God unifies us and the, the refreshing, renewing sense that can come from that. I look at my, our home group that's meeting this fall and the way that, we, that we've warmed toward one another, that we've grown toward one another, become more vulnerable and honest as we've walked in relationship with one another. It's like dew on the mountaintop. It's a renewing unity. But, but, when you get a group of sinners together, it's not always good and pleasant, is it? It's not always dew and oil running down beards. You look at the family chaos that started right out of the gate in the Bible. The first couple. You've got Adam being a poor leader. The first couple, you know what they gave to the rest of us? Sin and death, right? Thanks, Adam and Eve. And they're blame-shifting, they're throwing each other under the bus... Right out of the gates, fractured relationship in what's intended to be unity. The first siblings, did they dwell in unity? They did not. It led to well, the first time somebody had a sibling, they, they killed them, right? And then it just gets worse from there. The patriarchs, Joseph's brothers, try to kill him. They sell him into slavery. And the family dysfunction just continues to grow. You look at the people of Israel that are supposed to be a light to the nations. Three kings in, they split as a nation, never to come back together as one. And there are assassinations, there is warfare. I mean, they are a picture of family drama. And we see that fracturedness playing out just as much today in and out of the church. Because the heart of sin is this thing called pride. And what pride does is it elevates itself over everybody else, including God, including people. 
And it's the opposite ingredient of what we need for unity, which is humility, which is love, thinking about other people first. And so as sinners, true godly unity is impossible. It's impossible. And we look at the fractured relationships that we live in today, the way that we gossip about each other, the way that we judge one another, that even when we do start to form groups, they become cliques, in-groups, out-groups. We are hypocritical toward each other. We fight with one another. Ugliness and ruin that sin brings into the world that was intended for unity. It's not always refreshing like dew. Sometimes we feel like we are swimming in a flood that's killing us. It's not always like oil down Aaron's beard. We feel like we are stuck in tar. We need rescue. And we were given rescue through Jesus. This is exactly why he came. Look at, the, look at what Jesus does when he, in Ephesians chapter 2. I love Paul's words here. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us, a wholeness in Jesus for a community that's in pieces. He says, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. It can't be us figuring it out by keeping a law. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and hostility toward each other was put to death. The only way that we are going to experience the kind of unity that the psalm is talking about is through the Prince of Peace. Now, now, in context here, he's talking about bringing Jews and Gentiles together. But this is the kind of unity that's available for everybody. And I thought, man, thinking about yesterday, and those of you reading the news, and what happened in Pittsburgh in the synagogue, 11 people slain by anti-Semitism. This kind of fracture, these specific fractures are very much alive today. And there is only one solution, and that is the person of Jesus. That's why we've been called, and our vision statement says we are called into a gospel-centered community. The only way we're going to have this kind of relationship is through the blood-bought unity that Jesus gives to us in his spirit. And so what we want to call each other to this morning is, is a call to community, and a, and a call that goes beyond Sunday morning. What we're called to here by our Lord and Master is much more than a country club. When you think about in the context of your family, right? If you have a wife or a husband and kids, you don't get together once a week for Sunday dinner, right? And catch up. All right, gang, we'll see you next week. Good luck. What do we do? If we're a family, you live life together, right? Day in, day out. So how can we be the family of God if, if all we do is attend Sunday dinner? And then we'll see you again next week. That's not what family is. As we grow We've got to live out this kind of community. A Andy Stanley said it this way. When everyone's sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. We've been called to, to love each other, to bear each other's burdens, to, 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 to serve one another. We can't do that while you're all sitting here listening to me monologue. This is a good thing we're doing, but this does not sum up the church. And listen, I'm not just here trying to plug more programs for you to get involved in Peninsula Grace. Although you can if you'd like to. We need community like the air we breathe. And this is God's gift, his body, his physical manifestation of himself to us. We need encouragement from each other. We need accountability from each other. We find enjoyment in one another. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together. And you wanna talk about Christian community, I, I recommend this book as highly as any on that subject. Um, he said it this way, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. Is that you this morning? For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth, without obscuring it. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the word, divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. This is interesting. See what he said there? His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. What he's saying is like Solomon when he says three strands are a lot harder to break than one. And we need each other. Listen, we need to remind each other of the gospel every single day because of how prone our hearts are to wander back toward that pride and selfishness of sin. We need each other. So what does this gospel-centered community look like? Three words I want us to, to think about this morning that, that could define uh, what, we, what, what this kind of community should look like. The first one's transparent. We need relationships where we can take the mask off, where we can be honest in conversation and deal with the real sin in our lives. Not pretending, not hiding, not putting our best face forward, but a transparency with one another. That's real community. It also needs to be a trusting community. Because we're only going to share at that level when there's trust. And the only way to build that kind of trust is through time. There is no substitute for time spent together getting to know one another in relationship, trusting one another in relationship, so we can get to the point where we can truly be transparent. And the third word is truthful. What we're called to do is we call each other out on our sin we point each other to Jesus, who said, I am the truth. We've got to be centered around, as we gather, it's not just being together, but it's being in the word together. It's pointing each other back to the, to the written word and to the living word. So man, do you have these kind of relationships in your life? Do you have a Paul, a Timothy, a Barnabas to do life with? Do you have groups of people where you can step beyond and into this kind of intimacy at the back in the Welcome Center, we have a little pamphlet thing called Fall at a Glance, and it talks about home groups and, and Bible studies. And again, we're not just here to promote programs, but we want to give avenues, specific ways that we can provide to step into these deeper callings of community. So we were made to go together, we were made to go together, but then third, and we cannot miss this little word, we were made to go together. This last week, I was a substitute teacher at, the, at K Beach Elementary for the music program. And the music teacher asked me if I would be comfortable leading beginner's bands that afternoon. And I confidently, I said, sure, I can keep a beat, right? I mean, you just saw me, you know, how good it is. All right, I play rhythm guitar. Why couldn't I conduct a band of over 30 first through third graders who don't know how to play their own instruments? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> but you know what? Gave me another great sermon example, didn't it? Right? Substitute teaching, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, and it, it, was, it was obviously chaos. It did not go well. But it reminded me of what C.S. Lewis talked about when he compared the body of Christ to a beautiful orchestra. Um, there are three things that need to be in place, and none of them were in place at K Beach on Tuesday afternoon. The first one is we need to be individually tuned. The instrument must be in tune with, with itself, right? I mean, it must be playing the right tune. If we are not in a healthy relationship in tune with God, 
if we are not confessing our sins and falling on Jesus, if I'm not healthy, if you're not healthy, then we're not going to have a healthy community. We need to be individually tuned, but then we also need to be tuned together. Just as important, if, if everybody's individually in tune to themselves, but not to the, each other, and if we're not on the same tempo and on the same key, just like what happened last Tuesday afternoon, tit, 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 go. And there was this wave of, the best word I can use is noise. It was supposed to be hot cross buns. I think it was a hot cross mess that was just blowing toward me in, in absolute chaos. And I said, stop, go back to class, right? We're just done. Two minutes in, we're done. First um, John says that if we're not right with God and others, then we're not walking in love. Just as important to be in, in unity with God is to be in unity in step with one another. But there's another third important uh, element if we're going to have the kind of unity that Psalm 133 is talking to us about, and that is to be in tune with our conductor. See, I was a terrible conductor Tuesday afternoon. They, I, don't, I don't know how to, I didn't even know what in the world I was doing, right? They can't follow me. But we are called to follow our conductor. We're not just playing whatever song we want to play. The question is, what is God telling us to do as a band, as the people of God? Just like the people of Israel were walking in unity toward Jerusalem with the mission of worshiping him, of, of making sacrifices to him. What is the mission that our God has called us to? Not just unity, but doing what God wills. We were made not just to go together, but to go together. We are a community that lives on mission. And what is our mission? To go into the world and preach the gospel. This is our transition into Mission Month. And I love the words of Kevin Peck. He said it this way. If you aim for community, if that's your goal, just to be together, then you'll neither get mission nor community. In other words, if our whole thing is just let's just all be in the same room together, all right, we're all together, we're unified, but when we're just sitting there staring at each other, we haven't really gotten community, and we certainly haven't got mission. But he says, if you aim for mission, you get both. If you aim for mission, you get both. In other words, think about times when you've been on a team with a clear goal and mission. Maybe you've gone on a short-term trip. Maybe you've been a part of a sports team that was working toward a championship. And when you have this clear, important, captivating goal, you're not only moving forward to accomplish that mission, but what happens in the process? It unifies you. It brings you together. Community on mission. And so the question is, you know, what has God called us? What mission has he given us? We're not just called to community. We're called to be community on mission. And as we move forward, looking at God's mission, we want to move forward together. And so this coming month, uh, we're, we're calling this, this kind of the theme of the month is to be a missionary, bless a missionary. Be a missionary, bless a missionary. What does it look like to be the sent ones of God into this world and to bless to encourage those who are also and already going. So a couple of things, and we're going to give you guys some opportunity, us some opportunities this coming month, how to make some commitments, how to step forward into some of these things, but just to kind of get our, our wheels turning, and then we'll be done. Um, to be a missionary, three areas. First of all, we can be a missionary right here today in our community. And a challenge to go and daily, we talk about praying for your three. Who are three people that you know right here in Kenai, Soldatna, maybe even Nikiski, who need Jesus? And that you're praying for them, that you're inviting them into church, that you're sharing Jesus with them, that you're serving them in some way. We are all called to be on mission right here, right now. And then another thing to consider is, is going, getting beyond our doors. And man, sometimes going on a short-term mission trip can be a great way for that unity that we're talking about as we're on a common mission, a short-term mission. 
And it also gets our eyes off of ourselves and into the world and what God's doing. Maybe God's calling you into something short-term. But then, maybe number three, he's calling you into something long-term. There are places in the world today that have never heard the name of Jesus. And my heart is that we would, would build disciples here, not just locally, but to send light into the darkest recesses of the world. And maybe that's what God's calling you into. We're all called to be a missionary. Number three, uh, the second part, to bless a missionary. And of course, and we always are like, all right, here we go. How much do you want? And we make it about finances. This is not all about finances, but we are called to give. And there are those going right now that are in full-time missions, both here locally, in our state, and in the world beyond, who are, who are doing full-time work, and they can't do the kind of jobs that, that, that you and I do and, and get their own paycheck, and so we can support others. Calling, calling us into consistent giving and generosity toward those who are going in those capacities. But secondly, it's not just finances, it's prayer. Would we, and more important than giving financially, is to pray for those on the field. And are we consistently, diligently praying for them? And third, to connect with them regularly. This community that we're called to, this relationship, man, it's never been easier. Someone could be on the other side of the world and with the internet, I could be contacting them every day. Emails and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and blah, blah, blah. And we could be sending care packages and corresponding with one another. We're called to go together, to be in Christ-centered community that is accomplishing the mission of preaching the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know where everybody is in this room today. I can hardly know where my own heart is. And we just pray, Lord, some of us maybe today are experiencing a fractured relationship that needs to be mended, that can only be mended by Jesus' peace. And the forgiveness and freedom bought through the cross and the risen life of your son. Father, I pray that they would take that step today to, to, to in your power, to mend what is broken. And maybe some of, some of us here today need to be called into community. Need to be called into a space where there's transparency, where there's truthfulness, where there's trust. Calling into joining a home group or, or building a relationship where there can be real accountability and encouragement in the word. Father, they would take that step this week. And maybe some of us, you're calling us to go across the street or to talk to that coworker at work and share the love of Jesus with them. Or to go somewhere on a short term or even a long term basis. Those are scary things, Father. But if you've called us, may we go. May we go. And that we'd be people that are generous, people that are thinking about other people, holding the ropes for those who are serving in the various aspects of our own state and beyond in this world. Father, we know this is all only possible in the name of Jesus. So my prayer is that we would be a people that would be unified and as people see our insane unity, this crazy love that we have for each other, that they would come to know and believe that you sent your son to die for them and that you raised your son from the grave to live through them. It's in his unifying, peace-giving, beautiful name that we pray. Amen.